Tell me, if you were in my position, what would you do? What position is that? Imagine your husband bought a gold necklace and come Christmas gave it to somebody else. Come on. Would you wait around to find Good out night. if it... No, 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 no. Have Christmas. Would you wait around to find out if it's just a necklace or if it's sex and a necklace or if, worst of all, it's a necklace and love? Would you stay, knowing life would always be a little bit worse? Or would you cut and run? God. I am so in the wrong. A classic fool. Yes, but you've also made a fool out of me. You've made the life I lead foolish too. Darling! What is Love Actually with Beth Amon and Patrick Flynn. She's Beth Amon. And he's Patrick Flynn. And this is the podcast where we try to discover just what the 2003 Christmas romantic comedy Love Actually is. By taking it apart. And putting it back together again. So uh, today we have joining us for this segment um, two of our bestest, wonderfulest friends who have such wonderful opinions about everything. And we brought them together for this lovely segment. I would like to welcome Jenna Duncan and Rick Westerkamp. Hi. The crowd goes wild. It does. The joy <laughs> and the love and, and all the things. The, uh, so you guys are here to talk about, is it the best part of this movie? Is it the worst part of the movie? It's Snape and Trelawney. No, know. it's the best. Well, first you all tell us how, what's your history with this movie? Like, how did you first see it? When did you first see it? Tell us the circumstances around that, and then we'll dig into the sadness that is Snape and Trelawney. I definitely saw it in the movie theater when it came out. And, the, and I was, like, a sophomore in high school and, like, decided this was, like, the holiday film. And then I've watched it, like, every Christmas since. And... I have a recollection that I made my family sit down to watch it and my mom and my dad and my brother all hated it and I ended up finishing it by myself. I told my mom I was doing this podcast and she was like, no, I like that movie. And I was like, "Mm, okay, if we're going to rewrite history, sure, you like the movie. Um, But for some reason, I feel the need to watch it every Christmas. I get that. Jenna, what about you? I think I saw it in theaters also. I think I saw it in theaters with my parents because I remember feeling very weird about the porn part. Yeah. Um, Mm. Yeah. But my parents uh, loved that movie. It was like my mom's favorite movie. She, we had it on DVD. We watched it all, like, I swear to you all the time. Like, I think it was at Christmas mainly, but I also think we maybe watched it all the time. And my dad loves this movie. Like, we still watch it every Christmas, but I haven't been home for a lot of the past Christmases. So it's been a long time since I've watched it. And this year, um, 
we went to watch it because Kevin had never watched it. And I was so sort of excited and sort of terrified to watch it after all of these years. <laughs> and like, it has not aged great. No, no it has not. No. It very much has not. No, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty rough now. <laughs> I'm also surprised that you saw it in theaters, Jenna, because it came out when you and I were 12. Like, Rick, you're two years older than us, right? So, Rick, that makes more sense, like, a 14-year-old would be allowed to see this. But, like, mm-hmm. I can't... I, he's, four, he's four years ahead? You're four years ahead, right? Weren't you a senior when I was a freshman? Yeah, four yeah. years ahead. Okay, so then, like, you would have been a teenager. You, it would have made sense. Mm-hmm. I was still at the point yeah. where people were, like, not a girl, not yet a woman. So, like... Oh, like, my parents... Uh, my parents fuck this up all the time. Like, they took me to see There's Something About Mary in theaters, which was, like, really dirty. And, like... <laughs> Very dirty, yes. And, like, I didn't know what the hair gel scene was about <laughs> Jeez. for years. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, said to, I said to Patrick at one point that, like, for a really long time, I thought that, like, the scene in Love Actually that you just referenced, I was like, that was the first time I'd seen porn. Like, that's what it was. And then discovering later on, like, no, this is not porn. This is not... Like what a confusing time for a child. Death. But so this is this is a movie you guys obviously knew really really well. And so what I think we we want to start probably with having you guys. This will be kind of funny. I want I want Jenna to summarize the this section, just our little section, and then Rick. I want you to jump in when she messes it up. Okay. <laughs> Stephen okay. Trelawney are married. I'm just very glad that we've universally decided that we will not call them by their character names, but Snape and Trelawney, yes. because truly I did I not realize until, until watching the supercut that his name is said in the movie. I always thought he was a nameless shitty yeah. guy, yeah. but he's uh-huh. Ari. No. Wait. Harry. 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 Oh, Harry. <laughs> Can we cut that out? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> to be honest, I, I really thought they said, I thought they said Ari, and I was like, I had two responses, but the one that I'll say on here is that I was like, oh my God, of course, like, everybody hates the Jews. Of course, they, like, made this guy who ruined Christmas a Jew. People, wow. Like, oh, boy. Wow. This movie has a lot, a lot of failings, but I don't think explicit anti-Semitism is one. I mean, we should no, probably no, look like, for it. Like, this was my Jewish mother's favorite Christmas tradition. So, like, what are you going <laughs> to do? So, right. Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson are a couple. They have two kids who are, like, I don't know, 10 and 8, maybe? Something like that. And he works with this girl who is interested in him. And they have an, I would call it an emotional affair, but we can get to that later. They have no, a flirtation. Cosign. Okay, they have a flirtation. Um, and he buys her a gift for Christmas uh. that Emma Thompson finds. Uh, and thinks that it's for her. And then when she opens the box that she thinks this beautiful necklace is in, uh, spoiler alert, it's my God. a Joni Mitchell album. I like that Rick is living through your plot. After he, like, dissed the song River in a previous Right. Season, the which, second like, best Joni Mitchell song. It's coming on Christmas, they're cutting down trees. They're putting up reindeer and singing songs of joy and peace. Oh, I wish I had a river I could skate away on. Please don't come for Joni. Or yeah. do, do you think, wait, 
because are we on the same page about this? What is your, what do you think is the best Joni Mitchell song? Oh, Both Sides Now is the best Joni Mitchell song. I've looked at love from both sides now From give and take And still somehow it's love's illusions I recall I really don't know love at all really? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Oh, what would, do you think? I would think a case of you and then both sides now. You're in my blood like holy wine that tastes so bitter and so sweet. Oh, I drink a case of you, darling, and I would still be on my feet. Oh, I would still be on I mean, they're so it, it's one. Of, it's like your best Beatles song. Like they're all right. The answer, yeah, it, it's whatever take, it is for you. Take. It is. <laughs> but I think I I think both sides now, and I think both versions of both sides. I love the original, oh. but the one they play in this movie. I've looked at love from both sides now, from give and take, and still somehow it's love's is such a devastatingly wonderful version of this song of the the older Joni Mitchell kind of like with the real experience singing the song. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It so guts good. me like a fish. So good. It does. Um, Rick, did I do the, was that the summary? Did I do the summary? Okay. No, oh, you yeah. don't. You did it just it. stays, yeah. we think. Yes. The last thing we see in the well, movie. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she yeah. gets a glow up. Yeah, mm. and I realized today that she says, she just says like home, but she doesn't actually say whether like they're both going home or she's going home or what. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There also yeah. is and not. And I think she got highlights. Well, you think she got highlights? I do think she got highlights. And I do, I, I have to say, what's so funny about this whole plot line to me, like, as a writer, is the fact that it is gutting, like, to summarize it, as, as like, Rick and I are both sitting here going, ugh, and we're all going that way. But, like, it is that thing of, like, and Jenna, you and I have done this, where you sit and you come up with an idea for a scene and you go, oh, man, that's going to make everyone so sad. Let's do that. Let's do that. You know, <laughs> and you're just, like, so excited about the awful emotional manipulation you're about to set forward. And so it is funny for me to be like, I hate you, Richard Curtis. At the same time, like I would, I respect, I would do the exact same thing. She finds the necklace and then it's the Joni mm. Mitchell CD. Oh. It's totally, so it's kind of brilliant. Oh, it's, um, I, yeah. I think it's the best writing yeah. in the movie. Not, I'm not saying the whole movie. I'm saying that moment. No, yeah. This segment oh, yeah, is the best yeah, yeah. writing, the most emotionally compelling storyline, like the, the realist yeah, situation. This, this the good extreme of love, actually. The bad extreme of love, actually, is the font. Mm. Closely <laughs> followed by the misogyny. Closely followed by the misogyny. <laughs> like slash stalker behavior. Oh, God. Speaking of stalker behavior... Um, this time I noticed, I was interested, uh, what you guys think. I was for some reason paying very close attention to Alan Rickman's role in Laura Linney's plot this time Mm -hmm. and kind of wondering, like realizing when you watch this segment 
excised from the rest of the movie, how horribly inappropriate what he's doing is to her with like setting her up with um, Carl. Like he is way up in her business. Oh, and he's stirring the pot with like a really big old wooden spoon. I think he does this with all his employees and Mia's just the one that took it as hitting on her. Oh. oh. I don't know. I think that's oh. why it's in there that he does it with Laura Linney. I think it's supposed to somehow like excuse it. Because I gotta be the dissenting voice. Like I took his interest in Laura Linney as like, oh my God, he does have some nice qualities. He has this person who's worked there for two years, blah, 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 months, so many days, seven G seconds, whatever. And he's seen that right. she hasn't mm-hmm. like done the things she wants to do for herself. And for me, this is the redeeming part of his character because everything else is shit. But like, I, I wrote a note that said, I want to like Alan Rickman for trying to help Laura Linney, but I can't like him. No, I think we're talking about the same thing. I think we're talking about the same thing. I'm saying it's a good part of his personality that he cares about all his employees this much and has this much personal affection. Oh. But then it gets out of hand with one person. But Patrick, mm-hmm. that's not what when you were saying. That's not what I was saying, yes. But that's what Jenna was saying. Jenna and I are on the same page. I love that he has no time for her Mm self-deprecation. Laura Linney? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Masterpiece classic, this is Downton Abbey. He has no time for her (laughs) being self-deprecating. Rick, I've been watching Downton Abbey, (laughs) and I've seen Laura Linney every day, several times a day for the past, Four five days. <laughs> That's all I thought about every time she popped up on the screen. I was like, I'm Laura Linney. And this is Masterpiece Classic. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, Rick. She does, he, she says at one point. No progress with our matchmaking plan? No. Then fuck all and never will because he's too good for me. How true. Kind of like bops her. Oh, that's the wrong phrase to use. He like taps her on the knee. That's worse too. He just kind of like gives her, I can't fix this. (laughs) But my like, my big question for his character that I wrote down at the very beginning is does Harry know Laura Linney's whole situation? Does he know about her brother? Does she, he know what's going on? Because when her phone rings in that scene that you were just talking about, he goes... And of course, you're mobile. And it sort of seems like he doesn't know what's going on. Because if he knew the situation with her brother, I think he'd be a lot more sympathetic to like why she doesn't like, or maybe even pushing her with Carl being like, you deserve something for you. You know, go ahead and do that. Maybe he does. I couldn't quite tell. I don't think anyone knows. I do like that, that, uh, that, uh, Emma Thompson gives her a little kick too during the party to go dance with Carl. Oh, oh I, I love that. I hadn't noticed she that. She's such a good friend. She is such a good friend. But that's also sad. Oh, it's very sad. Because that's the moment that I think Emma Thompson is going to actually talk about this with with someone. Mm-hmm. She comes that close. She comes that close. Oh, you're right. Yeah, she's just... Which is why, though, it, it's why her breakdown at the end, and actually her breakdown when she gets the CD... Is so, so sad because she's holding, like he's flirting and he's being embarrassing and he's doing all these things in front of all these people. But she's like, but no, he loves me. Like he really loves me. And then when she discovers, whoops-a-doodle, uh, something, something's going on, uh, it's just, it all comes crumbling down. And so that's a very important scene to me that she doesn't open up in that way. Yeah, it's, oh God, we're all just going to sit here like with our hands at our, mm-hmm. <laughs> at our mm-hmm. sternum. Well, like, just, to, oh. to take a, a respite from the sadness, I'd like to ask the group, okay. um, 
Why is Mia dressed as a devil at the Christmas party? She can't read a room. She has no self-awareness. Like, yeah, like tone it down, ma'am. You think, so I had this moment today because I was ready to talk about this because it is the lingering question of the movie. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to me, I'm like, all the other things that go deeper than that, like, they're fine. But really, I want to know why Mia's dressed as a devil. (laughs) However, are they supposed to be like Christmas bulbs? Like that... Just look like the devil. Like it's are we supposed no. to be like no, she's no, dressed like the devil. No, she's dressed like the devil. Yeah. yeah. And it's not a fancy dress party, so I don't get it. It it is a Well, I think it's like a she, it's a you came from work party. It's a work party. Yeah, I mean like and she's also not I mean, nobody else is dressed nobody even has antlers on. Like if somebody else if, if there was like a <laughs> a festive like outfit kind of thing, if this was Bridget Jones and like people were kind of dolled up in Christmas gear. <laughs> then I'd get it a little bit more. But it, it she is the only one in costume. Okay, but do yeah. you have any problem with like, so when I watched it this time, I uh-huh. also feel like I had a big issue with how much Mia's painted to be the worst and the fact that she's in devil horns. And like, it just makes her out to be this villain and it's not her fault entirely. True. This is a huge thing that I have issues with, Jenna, about Richard Curtis films. I really think that mm. the way he writes women is the worst. I think it's a complete caricature. And I think that he's using Mia's character to be this, this very black and white, bad influence that she is sitting there. Like, I, I, no matter how I'm trying to seduce someone, I would never sit in an office chair and like spread my legs as wide as possible in a miniskirt. Oh like, God. I'd be a little more subtle about it. <laughs> So and you would never be like it's all for you at a party where your wife's watching us. Yeah. Well, and that skirt is horrible. It looks like a Christmas tree skirt mixed with a dirndl skirt. <laughs> it's like there's nothing seductive about this look, and you're just like going for I, the gold. It's my whole. I don't get what her motivation is. I don't get well, why she's doing. She's this. not. It's she's not written with any motivation. They just make her out to be. It's like look at her in her lingerie. Um she mm-hmm. look how well, evil she is in her lingerie in her fucking home let her wear her lingerie <laughs> and she is there is a deleted scene where she that she shares with uh with walking dead where um she explains like they're just having a simple conversation and she explains i'm thinking of having an affair with my boss what do you think is he married yes bad idea then the marriage vow is very sacred or i could have an affair with you mark <laughs> Why not? Let's just not go there. Do you look as gorgeous as this at work? Yes. Then he's doomed, isn't he? Yes. So even the scene that gives her motivation, yeah. the extra scene they deleted doesn't give any more motivation to why she's doing this. Yeah. I do not get it. To continue the lack I don't of, understand. The lack of motivation. You find out, and this is something I only noticed on this watch, that she's new. He says, How are you doing, Mary? Are you settling in fine, letting her to avoid? Absolutely. We don't even know that, like, this has been a, a long-seated, like, held passion, something like that. Like, this is just, she bopped in and was like, hmm, I think I'll do my boss. <laughs> is her being a shitty, is, okay, but, like, is her being this kind of person that, 
that is painted this way supposed to let him off the hook? Is that the intention? I, I don't think so, personally. I'll, I'll present the straight white male point of view. I don't think so. Uh, but I'm, I would love to hear, the, <laughs> to hear a different opinion. But I think that the intention is just that she is seduct. She is the temptress and he fails the test. So I don't think it lets him off the hook, but she doesn't have it. Her not having an inner life makes the temptation so flat. I, I get no moral from it. I think in some ways it makes his character sadder that like he would fall for this completely outright aggression and then still can't even go through it. Like he's not even good at cheating. It makes me think even less of him. So how do we feel though about Emma, Th- the character of Emma Thompson being written? I mean, with the whole, with the, with the notice that Richard Curtis does not write the best women, she is one of the best characters in the movie. I think full stop, not only one of the best female characters in the movie. So what, how do you feel about her as a, as a presentation? I love her. I love her so much. I think she's such a good friend. She like gives great advice. She is like, I don't know, like it kind of, it reminds me of those like close friendships and like Jenna's one of mine of like, even when you're like in, even when you're like under like six pounds of shit, like you and your person are going to like find a way to like find joy and like you're going to find a way to like laugh together even if like outside of this relationship, like everything else is like crumbling. And I feel like she does that for him in like, such a selfless, beautiful way. The only thing that I wish she had, like, she's so wonderful. She feels pretty layered comparatively. Um, I'm totally with Rick on her being an amazing friend. And I think, and the way she cares about her brother, even though he keeps dismissing her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's amazing to her family, the way she supports her kids. She makes those costumes, those crazy costumes. Um, the paper mache lobster. Yes, yeah. Even when Alan Rickman is like not there and not caring yeah. and so yeah. bored in that scene where she's doing the nativity play rehearsal for him. Oh. Um, so I so I think her character is amazing. I just feel like the movie paints like you can either be sexy or good. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I wish there was an opportunity for us to appreciate her character because she's gorgeous, right? Like that character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He just has no time in the movie where you're like, damn, why would he ever cheat on Emma Thompson? She's hot. You're like, why would she ever cheat on Emma Thompson? She's a good mother. And we like, never get to see both. her have a waist. Mm-mm. No. We can only dress her in moomoo's. In that large candy cream sweater. Mm-hmm. She's in those amorphous blouses, that big mm-hmm. old coat. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, they fluffed her up in this. She's wearing like padding. Because she's like a rail in real life. So they like yeah. fluffed her up to make her uh, nanny try to make her look frumpy. And it just, it doesn't work. Like she, she, she still, she looks sexy. phenomenal. <laughs> she looks like she bought a large and really she's like a medium. Every other scene, she's like, I'm fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saying how like her clothes were once owned by Pavarotti. Yeah. That was a good night. Except I felt fat. Don't be ridiculous. It's true. Nowadays, the only clothes I can get into were once owned by Pavarotti. I always think Pavarotti dresses very well. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of references to weight and women's weight specifically in this movie that make you go, ah, mm, mm, mm. Oh, you 
thank God I'm not doing the Natalie and Hugh Grant storyline. Holy crap. I was oh my God. when I rewatched that. We have a lot of opinions on that one. <laughs> we do. That's we like rip out opinions. your own hair material. <laughs> like if somebody's like, hey, what's your soapbox of everything that's wrong with the world? That's going to be, well, okay, maybe I have a couple soapboxes, like a soapbox trio. But sure. like, that's definitely one of them. <laughs> that was my favorite 90s band was soapbox trio. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but you brought up you brought up hang on, wait, we, we we hit something that I wanted to that I wanted to circle back to. Oh the scene. So when Hugh Grant when Hugh Grant kind of um when Hugh Grant shows up at the uh the pageant mm. and she gives him this big hug because she thinks he's there yeah. for her and he's not. Mm-hmm. That hurts me worse than what happens next when she sort of like confronts Alan Rickman in the theater. Like that scene's devastating. But the way she's- Oh, David! Ah! Ah! Oh. How are you? Hi, guys. Hey, 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 hey. Hey. You all right? What the hell are you doing here? Well, you I mean, know, I- always I, tell I, your secretary, secretary, secretary that these things are going on, but it never occurred to me you'd actually turn up. Well, I thought it was about time I, I did. I just didn't want anyone to see, so I'm going to hide myself somewhere and, and watch the show. Good luck. Good luck, Daisy. Good luck, Bernie. I have to tell you, I've never been glad to see my stupid big brother. Thank you. All right. Like, nobody cares about her in this, in her, like, inner circle. I'm sure Liam Neeson cares about her a lot. But, like... But I don't think she'd burden not... Liam Neeson by telling him that she's sad. He's got something else to deal right. with. He's not going to taking care of her. No, but right, he's not yeah. going to let him. But if she gets those feelings from him being there, like she never gets a receipt that's like, "Oh, he's not here for me." Mm-hmm. That's true. So, like, I mean, sad that it doesn't come back to her, but like happy for her, given her journey, that like she gets to feel that even for like a glimmer of a moment. But I have a question about the most famous scene. I think in this section at least from a comedic standpoint, which is with Rowan Atkinson and the wrapping of the necklace. <laughs> you mean the Rick Westerkamp role? <gasps> yes. Oh, yes. Rick. Yes. In the Broadway musical, it would be yes. you. Yes. No, yes. Fully. And it would yes. have a tap yes, number yes, yes. and a modern dance solo. I like Beth. What did you, you wrote some great notes about this section, Beth. Oh, he says, he says every like phrase that's supposed to represent something short in the longest way possible. He says, ready in the flashiest of flashes. Brontissimo. It is but the work of a moment. When he says he's going to put the present in something that's more than a bag. Look, actually, I don't need a bag. I just put it in my pocket. No, this isn't a bag, sir. Really? This is so much more than a bag. Well, every every present we've ever wrapped in my house, one of my family members goes. We're going to pop it in the Christmas box. We're going to pop it in the Christmas box. I love that. The spring of, when he puts on the glove to take out the oh, holly, God. it's just the moment. Like, this is like and then when the props have the, props. When he strips the spice, yes, he strips the spice and sprinkles. I also just love that he has like a candy <laughs> scooper to get like these random flowers. Like it's not even an effective yeah. way to gather that stuff. Like the potpourri. Well, like, the way he's like oh. he's flourishing them over the bag, like like they're gonna land in a in an interesting pattern when they're just going into a bag like, oh, to yeah. then be wrapped up. It's just so nice. A bag that goes into another bag. It's like I love yes. things that are extra and I'm bougie as fuck, but like this is a whole lot. 
Well, do you both know that originally the plot point was supposed to be that Mr. Bean represented some type of angel, that he was there to assist in a couple different scenes. Oh, Rick's face says no. Um, he was there to like mm -hmm. move the plot along. And so there's, with this scene specifically, was he trying to help Alan Rickman not cheat? Was he trying to um, stall him so that he would make the right choice? You see him again later and um, in a deleted scene with, or is he still, is it still in the scene with um, the kid and running to the airport? There's the scene where he, he, he lets the kid, he, he stalls the, the deleted security guard portion so the kid is that the child through. is a gymnast. I forgot about that. Um, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, that's the deleted portion. Of but so the, do you yeah. think that in the cut up version where we've lost a lot of the references to this, that Mr. Bean is acting as uh, a type of spirit or a helper or a guide? Both of you were staring. My heart says no. <laughs> <laughs> but your head? What does your head say? I think it also says no. Okay. Okay, good. I thought so, maybe. Yeah. I think he has this, like, like my backstory for him is that he has this, like, passion project that's, so like, never going to get him anywhere. And he's, like, trying to make the best of, like, a stressful survival job. Mm-hmm with the flourishes and mm. the What's the passion scoop. project? I don't know, like like Etsy before Etsy was Etsy. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's like crafty. Sure. Like okay. It might be housewares or it's like funny needle points that you like put on your wall. <laughs> with fun little sayings. Like yeah, like quotes. bananas. He's the original Namaste in bed. Mm -hmm. Yes. There you go. Mm -hmm. Very oh bad. my. Very nice. Very I like nice. that. He's trying to get mm -hmm. an idea like for that. commerce by working in the department store. Makes sense. Oh yeah, it's like it's like dream adjacent. Mm -hmm. Got you. Aren't we all? He certainly does have passion for that rapping. That is like the, the absolute truth. Yeah, I, I, I also find that explanation unsatisfying because he doesn't succeed yeah. also. Like, yeah. still buys the necklace. He just has the common sense not to get a gift wrap next time. I'd also like That's to point out that that necklace allegedly cost 270 pounds. If someone spent 270 pounds on that necklace for me, that I would be horrified. That's not a two. It's a bad like, necklace, right? Yeah. That's a reason to not be with that person. It is. Yeah. I, I, that, uh, this yes. is the first time I noticed that where I wrote, this is an ugly necklace, right? Like I'm yes. not a great judge of jewelry, I wouldn't say, but even in 2003, that's a bad necklace. I like the way- Yeah, no, I, I don't know jewels either, but yeah, you know, hard pass. Yeah. What woman puts on a necklace on her way to bed? Like Mia's like, let me just put this necklace on before I go to sleep. Cause I'm in a lingerie commercial. Mm -hmm. like, so this is like, my whole life is a lingerie commercial. And then Celine Dion sings, I drove all night. Yeah. And then you go to bed. Right. <laughs> this movie just beats up on Emma Thompson over and over again and everything. Like, I don't, yeah. Ugh. It does. <laughs> it, it is. So I, I think it's also important, though, we, we kind of teased it, to ask the question, mm -hmm. does Harry sleep with Mia? Does Alan Rickman sleep with the devil? We're getting lots of shaking heads. Lots of shaking heads. What do you think, uh, Beth? I'm getting two no's. Jenna says no, and I don't, Rick says no. I don't think he gets the opportunity to go through with it. I think, like, and by opportunity, I mean, like, I think he realizes that he's caught and then is too chicken. So in 2015, the film script editor 
and lifetime partner of Richard Curtis confirmed on her Twitter account that it was indeed a full-fledged uh. sexual affair and not just an inappropriate non-physical flirtation. But when? When? But like I did find myself after watching it this time ask the question mainly because of Alan Rickman's reaction. I spent a lot of the because we've watched this movie a lot. Uh-huh. I spent a lot of time watching the people not talking, like what what the other actors are doing, and his reaction when he's caught out is pretty intense. Yeah, like he's really scared in that moment, and he should be. But it really felt more than just like, oh my god, I bought my secretary a necklace, and she figured it out, like something like mm-hmm. how she figured it out, like because she never says how she figures it out; she just says she knows. And yeah, that it, it, that answers. Um, a big question of mine, which is the scene where he's walking to meet Emma Thompson to go shopping and he calls <gasps> Mia. So you're gonna give me something. I thought I made it clear last night. When it comes to me, you can have everything. So, um, what do you need? Something along the stationary line? Are you short of staplers? No, I don't want something I need. I want something I want, something pretty. Right. Right. Yeah. I always thought that exchange was weird that they were like phone friendly like that. And now mm-hmm. I know uh, why. Jesus, that sucks. I, yeah, it does, doesn't it? I took that moment, that phone call though, as him committing to doing something, that that was him like, like Patrick, we've talked about this before that he actively chooses in that moment to participate in whatever this affair is. And mm-hmm. now I just now think that they've slept together at that point and now I'm cranky. I don't think I don't think they slept together at that point. I think they sleep together between that scene and Wait, what if she's sequ- putting the necklace on with the lingerie so he's coming over? <gasps> <gasps> Patrick, you knew that you were continuing. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I think. Yeah. She's not going to bed. She's going to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how you seduce people? No. You're like, you want to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait. So she, so she doesn't like, oh, this answers so much. So she doesn't like get the necklace at work. And then not open it until the evening and no. try it on. She got it an hour before. After I he think, I think, she, I think she she gets the necklace. See, to me, the note with the information from from the the script editor from Emma Freud, I, I think that it's he comes over to her place, gives her the necklace, they have sex, and then at the after he leaves, we see her putting the necklace on in her, you know, sexy Victorious. Which is very filmic. It's not obviously the way. It, one thing that always bugs me about sex scenes in movies is the fact that like people are always clothed like the second it's over. But like, and she's all dolled up. Like, but I bet that that is sort of the implication yeah, supposed like, to be she has the necklace on because they've just you know yeah, like your devil winged eyeliner didn't yeah. run it all while you were sleeping yeah. with your boss. Like stone cold. Truly, what's the temperature in your apartment, <laughs> <Yeah>. ma'am? <laughs> That's so sad. We wanted to believe in Emma Thompson and wanted to believe nothing that bad happened to her, but it did. Wait, do you think it's worse? I don't think it's actually, I think it makes him sadder. I don't think it's worse for her if he slept with her. I agree. I think, I agree with Jenna. It feels to me like, because she ranks them. I mean, she says. Would you wait around to find out if it's just a necklace or if it's 
sex and a necklace, or if worst of all, it's a necklace and love. I don't want bad things to happen to Emma Thompson, and they have. Me too. I feel the same. Yeah. I think the emotional affair is the worst part. But I think it's the emotional affair plus the physical affair. You've got, like, I think an emotional affair is worse than just a physical affair, but if you then put them both together... That's just bad news bears all over the place. Yeah. He's not just like doing some kind of midlife crisis. He didn't just buy the motorcycle. Like he, he went out and like mm. actually. He rode that motorcycle. <laughs> this feels like a hard thing to ask for this segment because I feel like everything is problematic, but we had a note asked, what's the most problematic portion of this storyline? I feel like we've covered a lot of it, but if we were going to pinpoint one portion. I think for me, it's that she's wearing like a shake and go devil costume from like Party City at like the office Christmas party. Yeah. That's where it's like, that's a bridge too far. The line. It is. It's like, just like slap her in some like skirt, like let her be her. Mm-hmm sexual self to Kelly Clarkson's Christmas album, America's Mm -hmm. First Idol. Like, let her do that in, like, normal clothes, not be, like, the Elle Woods of the Law School Mm -hmm. Party. Or the Bridget Jones Uh of the Tarts and Vickers scene. So, Jenna, what is your your most problematic section? I think probably the the two women in general, the duality of, of Emma Thompson versus Mia, and the, like, the good woman versus bad woman moral bullshit that is mm-hmm. this storyline. And the fact that really it all comes back to a man who frankly is not blamed in the way he should be in this movie. Like the fact that Mia's the villain, I think is a huge, is, is probably one of the more problematic portions, yeah. I think. And that's think, Richard Beth? Curtis yeah. for you. Do you agree, Beth? Is that the, your, the most problematic part for you? Yeah, I feel just like, the, the way the love triangle is set up and how black and white it's made to be. Um, and then you have Emma Thompson as the only one really mm-hmm. in, living in a layered reality. I think comparing that to like how Mia is written, like Jenna said, just sets us all up for really, really inaccurate representations of female characters but do we think so do you think i mean people have seen the movie you guys obviously seen the movie you've watched this segment intently is this part of the movie to you good or bad like on balance do you think it's a good sort of you view it as a short film because a good short film or a bad short film i think so much of what emma thompson's doing makes it good for me like because and like eh. i mean emma thompson's acting is spectacular yeah but none of her relationships i don't think are built up out enough to actually make it that interesting mm. i think if we just took that one scene at the end where she says imagine your husband bought a gold necklace and blah 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 that's a wonderful short film right there i would kind of like to see the story just from emma thompson's point of view i kind of wish i didn't know what alan rickman was doing mm. or who mia was um because um, she is so compelling to me as a woman and as a character who is there for everybody doing all the things like her brother's the prime minister mm-hmm. and that's a drag and she like keeps a good face on all the time and then like 
but she just doesn't know, you know, whether, and we know more than she does, obviously, about like what Alan Rickman got up to and like what his conflicted nature is through it a little bit. If we didn't have any yeah. of that, I would be so much like, this is phenomenal. I want to know like what her, I want to see more of her life and much less of his. I just realized that she, I've never put that together, that she, this happens with the necklace. They leave the house to go to the pageant. And then her brother and his newfound love are performing their love in front of everybody as her relationship is crumbling. God, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. While that girl with like the best voice in the fifth grade class is singing All I Want for Christmas is You. Rick, I wrote down, I was like, the American Girl Doll sings All I Want for Christmas. I would like Rick's reaction to this. I mean, it's, I mean, naturally, it's one of my favorite moments in the whole thing. And then, like, when she directs the first lyric to the little boy on the drums, and then she's telling it to everyone, like, my heart breaks. But she, like, as someone who casts middle schoolers in productions, it's so that thing of, like, to everyone in the class, they're like, well, obviously, it's going to go to, like, Susie Q over here. She has the best voice in the class. (laughs) And then, like, the teachers doing the choreography and, like, a snowflake sweater. I mean, the whole moment. It's just, like, ripe like the for the Like the most picking. overproduced grade school Christmas pageant in the history of Christmas pageants. Well, and, like, and you know the one woman doing backup vocals on a microphone is, like, the, mm-hmm. the principal's secretary. And they're, uh-huh. like, she yeah. can sing. Um, I, I would like to detour us slightly because I wrote a list out that I'd like to share called miscellaneous things at the birth of jesus Um, i like i just actually sat down and looked at all of them this time and it's it's beautiful so we have um a teacher out of costume two penguins an octopus a shepherd three lobsters sheep that are bigger than mary and joseph and sheep that are smaller than mary and joseph and our stuffed animals we have a couple angels we have a very shoddily gift wrapped present um, we have what I wrote as cow, because I think it's supposed to be a cow, but it's a really bad mask. Um, a giant whale with a fishbone in its mouth, and a Spider-Man wise man. And that's everyone that was at the birth of Jesus. And the scariest baby Jesus doll I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. That close-up stuck out to me this time. So hard. They're just like waving. Oh, that's horrifying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh my god. I just, I I, like. There's the line, obviously. So what's this big news then? We've been given our parts in the nativity play, (gasps) and I'm the lobster. The lobster. Yeah. In the nativity play. Yeah, first lobster. There was more than one lobster present at the birth of Jesus. Duh. And I really wanted to see how many more. Okay, the best line. Yeah, ever. there were three. I, it's good that there were three. Mm-hmm. I'm glad there wasn't two. There's three. I'd like, like to that's point a real out commitment to There were not three wise men. We do have to ask, is this story an example of love? And if so, is an example of true love? Because as Emma Thompson's character says... True love lasts a lifetime. Well, then I think it, it fights against, like, maybe the stereotypical idea of love. Because, like her love for her kids and her love for her friend and like the love that she pours into her brother that he sort of isn't in a place to receive is all around her. And like all of those moments where she's like doing that mom thing of like 
keeping everything going and like not showing what's going on for her kids, I think are like some of the most heartbreaking to me. So I think it is true, but I don't think it's necessarily about romantic love for her. Like, I hope she finds it later on, but I think other kinds of love for sure. It is funny. Love is like literally all around her. I think she's giving a lot of love, but she's not on the receiving end. I'm sure, I'm sure her children and I'm sure her family and friends love her, but all we see is her output and not what she is enjoying. Yeah. But that's a real form mm-hmm. of love in the world is output of love and no, totally. not reception yeah. of love. Very true. I think it, it does fit in the movie in that way. This is sad. This is a sad part of the movie. Like, it's sort of undeniable how sad this is. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie that has casualties. And, like, we still think this is, like, just super sad. Uh, all right. So let's score this. Let's jump, it, let's jump into the joy. We like to score each segment on two, on two different metrics. Okay. So first we're going to score how British is this segment. Should we go on the count of three? Okay. Three, two, one. Six, seven, five. Okay. Oh, Okay. Wow. I was also between six and seven. I didn't know point fives were. You can hit as a point five. All right, but then I also- I like I like to just go and then ask yes. for like give my apologies after whatever that's yeah, saying. Yeah, it's better is. to say you're sorry than ask permission. Ask for yeah. forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Mm-hmm. Really, you think okay? So you've got it up there, six and seven. Okay, what do you think, Beth? I give it higher, and I think it is completely influenced by the fact that I am currently binging my way through Downton Abbey. <laughs> but I gave it an eight because I feel like. I finally get it. And I wrote like Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman are British acting royalty and like cold English wife, Flaherty and Havilah. Like these two characters, these two Mm -hmm. actors are the epitome of like British people to me. That's very true. Uh, That's very true. I think this, because the story to me is not very British at all. No, the story could happen. You're right. The trappings of it, the trappings of it are super British. So I'm actually going to up it a little bit. I had it at at lower, but I'm going to take it up to a six because I had it at, uh, at a four. I think you're right with the, the British, the super most Britishness of the, of the actors and the trappings of it Mm -hmm. kicks it up, uh, kicks it up higher. Oh, the whole scene with Rowan Atkins. Yes. yes. Very, very no. true. So, uh, average, so we, we're at a 6.875. Yeah. Our average? Okay, so we're sort of almost at Harry Potter eating beans on toast. That's what we'll round up to a seven. And now we do, how good is this seg- this segment of the movie? What is everybody's score on this from the on the Christmas classics level? I give it an eight. I... I'm still stuck on the fact that I take so much issue with Elf being at a six. <laughs> um, like Elf is a timeless classic, yeah. y'all. This is um, where the age gap comes into comes into play a little bit. We've been criticized. <laughs> I think it's like I would give it like a six point five. I'm giving it a five. I feel like in terms of really, yeah. Well, I feel like it's Jenna is shocked. In terms of, like, Britishness, it's very British to me. But in terms of, like, is this a Christmas story? No. These are circumstances that happen around Christmas. This is, and, like, I, I thought about giving it a four, but I put it out of five because it just, like, this circumstance has nothing to do with Christmas. So I'm going to, I'm with Rick. I'm giving it an eight, and I'm going to, uh, disagree with you beth on this okay because to me it is a christmas story because of the present thing 
the fact that there are presents being purchased for multiple people that get mixed up. That couldn't be any other holiday. That couldn't be a birthday. Like that's a Christmas thing where he bought a present for someone else. She thinks it's for her. Then she opens up a present of the exact same size and it's not. And that's such a like Christmas bit. It is like, I agree with you in the sense that like Christmas doesn't, he's not having the affair because it's Christmas. Like that never comes up. He's not dissatisfied because it's Christmas, but Christmas does machinate itself into the plot in a very real way. So I think it's, I think it's a, it's a very Christmassy story. Okay. I can feel that argument. I will adjust to a 6.5. So that goes, so we have an eight, a 6.5, a 6.5 and an eight, which my pen and paper tells me is a seven and a quarter. That also kind of rounds down to a seven. So we're kind of at a seven for both. So it's a, what was seven? A claymation classic. Um, that feels pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with both of those scores for this. I'd be interested to see how this metrics into the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Imagine if this was a claymation. Oh, man. <laughs> is it weird that this isn't a musical yet? I'm just like now having this thought, Rick, when you said you were going to play Mr. Bean. Like, this just feels to me like, why yeah. isn't this like, if we could do Groundhog Day, we can do this. Like, obviously, this is... And like, get the rights to the Kelly Clarkson song, get the rights to the Mariah mm-hmm. one. I mean, add in. we can do Groundhog uh, Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One did if Groundhog Day was Day. done. We, it was it it yeah it, it arrived. If we paid for Groundhog Day, we could also pay for Love Actually. We can pay for this. If that's what we say. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. What is Love Actually was produced and edited by Patrick Flynn. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Love Actually Pod. You can follow Patrick Flynn at Unknown Penguin. You can follow Beth Amon at Beth Amon13. Please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link to our PayPal in the show notes. She's Beth Amon. And he's Patrick Flynn. And remember, there was more than one lobster at the birth of Jesus. God only knows what I'd be with. Oh,